The Gospel of Luke is a masterwork. Dr. Luke, who wrote it, had a keen mind and was determined to write an orderly account compiled from the eyewitnesses of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, we know all this because he tells us about it in the first chapter of his gospel, a gospel which feels quite different from the three other gospels preserved as part of the New Testament. Today, as we reach the key week of the Christian calendar, Holy Week, which builds up to the momentous Good Friday execution of Jesus and the coming celebration of resurrection on Easter Sunday, I want us to use Luke's gospel as our roadmap to navigate our way through. My sense is that we all need something like this as we head into the second year of COVID. Many of us feel like our usual patterns and rhythms have been totally disrupted by all the upheaval and the uncertainty of the pandemic. And hopefully Easter this year can be a space to regroup and get our bearings again. As we begin, I'd like you to think of a moment in your experience when you did something that committed you to a course of action. For example, a few years ago, in a moment of temporary insanity, I signed up to run a marathon. It was something I hadn't done before, so I had no idea what a lot of effort I was letting myself in for. But there was something about paying the fee and telling the family what I had done that made me know that I would have to carry it through. It entailed training runs that took me further than I thought possible, lots of running in the rain and cold through a Vancouver winter, and pushing my body beyond any place it had ever been before. I did run the marathon, but if I had known how hard I would have to go in the four months leading up to it, I'm not sure that I would have. Big things can flow out of apparently small commitments. Broadly speaking, Luke's gospel breaks down into three clear sections. The first two chapters are the prologue, as they deal in great detail with the events before and around the birth of Jesus. Chapters 3 to 9 describe the beginnings of Jesus' public ministry, the calling of the disciples, and various demonstrations of his power to heal. Chapter 9 marks the clear turning point of the gospel and is the passage we have had read together already. From this pivotal moment, the last chapters of the gospel lead unerringly to the cross in Jerusalem. Turning then to our passage today, Jesus huddles privately with his inner ring, the Twelve, and spends some time in prayer. Jesus then asks them an important question. Who do the crowds say that I am? Sure enough, the disciples were happy to tell Jesus about the latest round of identity guesses. Some were apparently speculating that Jesus was John the Baptist, probably at this point recently executed by Herod. 
Others had him identified as Elijah, the prophet from the Old Testament, who was expected to come back at some point. Still others were speculating that he was one of the other prophets from the Old Testament who had returned to life. Jesus then asks a second, more probing question. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter, the rough fisherman, who was never afraid to speak up, answered, the Christ of God. Christ being the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. In speaking out like that, Peter publicly voices the long-cherished hope of the whole nation of Israel that Messiah would eventually come. Messiah, in the popular imagination, was a freedom fighter who would restore the kingdom of Israel to its previous independence, kicking out the unloved Romans as he did it, and who would usher in a golden age of plenty with the worship of God in the temple restored to its proper place. All of which must have made what Jesus had to say next totally unsettling. After telling the disciples not to speak of this identity as Messiah to anyone, he tells them straight up that he, the Son of Man, that was the expression he liked to use for himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. It's interesting to speculate on what exactly the disciples thought on hearing this. Consternation, certainly. From Mark's account, we learn that this was the moment that Peter tried to dissuade Jesus from the path towards the cross. But for the whole group, it must have been totally bewildering. Here is Jesus with all this life and goodness, and he is talking now about death and suffering as the path appointed for him? His use of the term must, must suffer and be rejected, must be killed, suggesting that such a path was preordained, would have been difficult for them to grasp. If it was hard for the disciples to grasp the planned trajectory of Jesus' ministry at this point, what Jesus had to tell them next was probably even more mind-blowing. When he told them that if anyone would follow him, they must deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow him, they would have been shocked and stunned. Probably it was his use of the term cross that shook them the most. They knew about crosses. Crosses were awful. Crosses were the power of Rome in visible form. Crosses were for rebels and revolutionaries, as well as for all sorts of other criminals. Crosses were shameful, partly because the victims were usually crucified naked, and they were truly feared. Crosses were the worst kind of death that anyone could imagine. And now Jesus tells them that if they are to truly follow him, they must take up the cross daily? It's worth noting that the disciples never did really understand 
that Jesus was totally serious about his mission. In the next part of Luke 9, Peter, James, and John, as the inner ring, were invited to the special moment on the top of a mountain where they witnessed Jesus transfigured and in conversation with Moses and Elijah about the departure that he would bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. But even that didn't seem to help them really get it. So all of this is necessary build-up to the watershed moment that we read about in Luke 9, 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Luke writes, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It is this decisive resolution that leads directly to the events that formed the first Holy Week. From this point forward, the rest of Luke's gospel will follow Jesus as the tension with the Pharisees and law teachers ratchets up and as the political resistance to him builds and intensifies. By the time he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in the triumphant entry that we celebrate today, the stage is being set for the betrayal by Judas that will lead to Jesus' arrest, trial, and condemnation to crucifixion. So if that is the story, what are we to make of it all as we approach this Easter? I hope that we are asking some of the big questions, like what is driving Jesus to such a terrible death? And why must this all happen? The Bible gives us partial answers. The clues to this event are scattered throughout the Old Testament, perhaps nowhere so clearly as in Isaiah 53, where the coming suffering servant, pictured as a man of sorrows, is described as being pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. While theologians discuss as many as seven different theories about the atonement, it remains clear that the cross where Jesus died is the place from which forgiveness flows to all of us, the undeserving. John's Gospel tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whatever else the cross is about, it is about the Father's love for us, his errant children, and the reestablishment of relationship between us. Easter this year becomes our chance to revisit this story and to reflect on it prayerfully, even if we cannot understand it fully. I have personally been helped by three writers who have used fiction as a way of exploring the significance of the death of Jesus. Tolkien, in his wonderful Lord of the Rings, is one. C.S. Lewis, 
in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is another. And yes, even J.K. Rowling in the Harry Potter series has some interesting things going on. But you have to get to the last book to find them. I hope this week, as we move towards the celebration of Easter Sunday and the resurrection, that you will find some time to reflect on the story. In a time of great sorrow and turmoil, we need to be reminded that God loves us and that He has revealed Himself fully in Jesus, who humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. As we all deal with this season of loss, grieving the many who have died from the pandemic and the many sad deaths from the tainted drugs circulating in our province, the death of Jesus reminds us that God has entered our pain and identified with it. But beyond Good Friday lies the victory of life over death and the promise that love and life ultimately win.